God speaks to each of us as we need it. Just keep seeking Him, keep trusting Him. One of the things is when you have a difficult relationship with your dad, you know, your, your earthly dad, or you don't have, never had one, like I didn't have one, it's hard to see God as your father because you don't have that imprint. Again, it goes back to like the blueprints that you were given, you know, and you might have to work harder at understanding that. And, and that's okay. You know, we each have our journey, but God is absolutely good and he loves you. And he never intended for all of this to happen to you. And whatever the enemy stole, he promises to redeem it and to walk you through it. And so keep knocking on his door, keep trusting him, keep surrendering this. One of the beautiful things is that even in the midst of things that we go through, we can impart in other people's lives. And God uses our path and our journey to help other people journey along. So wherever you are on this journey to healing or grieving or mourning or the pain, know that your story matters and that you can help somebody else. And as you're surrendering those things to God, he'll show you and, and it's all going to be for his glory to be able to help somebody else. When life as you know it is flipped upside down, we struggle to make sense of it all. Why would a good God allow this to happen? Hi, I'm Sherry Pilkington, your host of Finding God in Our Pain. In early 2018, the deepest questions of my life erupted when I unexpectedly lost my husband of 32 years. Since then, I've searched the heart of God for what he has to say about pain and suffering. In this podcast, we'll discover how God enters into our pain, shepherds us through our darkest valley, and out into the green pastures once again. I'll bring you firsthand stories from women who will allow us into their authentic struggle, along with professional advice from experts, counselors, and others who can speak to what it looks like to navigate pain. Join me as we discover God's answers to the deepest cries of our shattered heart. My guest, Melissa Luby, and you'll hear me call her May, is the founder of May's Heart, a nonprofit organization that helps survivors who have been in the sex trafficking industry. Her heart is to help these women find their inner voice and freedom through Christ. Today, May talks about her personal journey from sex trafficking to wholeness in Christ. When Maylissa was 23, she met Christ, and that's when her healing journey began. Maylissa entered the sex trafficking industry as a means of taking control of her life. Today, she'll tell you what a lie that was. But as a 15-year-old who never knew she had a voice or that boundaries existed, it seemed that the perfect take-control move was using the industry to make money versus her continually being abused and having no say-so. We talked about how past or present trauma surfaces in our everyday life and are there signs that indicate we need healing. I wanted to know because it's possible that we miss the full impact of our past. Sometimes if we have distance on our trauma or we don't live in that environment anymore or the abuse has stopped and we think we should be fine. But the truth is, if we don't process the pain and confusion, then it will stay with us until we let it out in a healthy way. There are many ways in which we avoid dealing with our pain, some of which are pretty obvious, things like alcohol, drugs, sex, cigarettes, but even excessive shopping or lack of boundaries, fits of rage. Maybe we run our household by instilling fear in everyone. The list is endless, but shame and guilt go nowhere until we face it, until the lies that we believe about ourselves are rewritten. That's when peace replaces anxiety, when calm settles our storm. The beauty of what May has for women who want to leave the sex industry is that she points them to the one who has the peace that surpasses all understanding, the one who gently draws us into who he created us to be. She points them to Christ, the one who rewrites the lies and pain of this life. He doesn't judge us. He leads us into healing with his extravagant grace and mercy, not to mention his exquisite, unfailing love for us. Now May's heart is to help sex trafficking victims find hope and healing. As a survivor, she's dedicated her life to the mission of leading women into inner healing through mentorship programs and life coaching services. Listen into her podcast, May You Break the Silence. This is where she gives the mic to survivors and allows them to share their stories so that other women know they're not alone and that no matter where they've been or even where they're at, healing and Christ is completely possible. Thank you so much for stopping by the show and sharing your heart for 
uh, women who find themselves struggling after abuse in your particular situation. It was the sex industry. Thank you for inviting me. It's always an honor to be able to speak into women's lives. I went to your kickoff that you did for your ministry here in the States. And that was, it was just beautiful. It was very meaningful. And I was captivated by your heart for women, your story. And I definitely want to share that with my listeners today. Let's orient my listeners with why you are qualified to speak into this particular topic. What is your story? Well, um, it began when my mom had me when she was 16 years old and wasn't equipped as a young teenager to have a child, but yet wanted to keep me, which I'm grateful for, you know, I'm grateful for the life that she gave me in the midst of, of, of the hardships that we both had bringing into the world, a young, a little baby when you're not, you know, you're not ready for that. And so my mom had a lot of trauma and that's a whole other story. (laughs) She turned to the sex industry to be able to provide for me. And um, so she endured a lot of, a lot of things in her life. So it ended up that at the age of, uh, before I was one, I was placed into foster care, but I didn't go through the system. She found a family that was already in established foster care and she placed me there and paid for me monthly to stay there. Without her knowledge, I was being molested by the, the dad, the foster dad. I can recollect memories of that time. It was done in a very trusting way. I thought he was my dad, you know, and so for many years it went on and I didn't get the help that I needed. And then before kindergarten, my mom scooped me out of that place. She said she felt something was wrong, but she didn't know what it was. And she actually had gone to the doctor because I was like um, addicted to masturbation. I'm just being honest. Yeah, I I was five years old and I could not stop touching myself. And so she went to a doctor and the doctor said, oh, that's just a normal behavior. It's a normal childhood behavior. And so she took me out of that place. She didn't quite have the stability yet. And so she placed me again somewhere else for a couple years. And, and, you know, that was the story. Like she would take me back. She would place me. She would take me back. She would place me. And so my whole childhood, I was living with other families and I never had a social worker or someone who advocated for me. I was in the system, but I wasn't. Does that make sense? Right. Yes. Lost in the system. Yeah. Well, because my mom had full control because she paid people to take care of me. And then by the time I became a teenager, I went out of control. I started doing drugs at like 11 years old. I was already having sex that young because I had been abused my entire childhood. And even before then, my, one of my mom's boyfriend had abused me. My uncle raped me. I mean, it was just like a whole life of just being used. And so at 15, I was so tired of everybody deciding my life. So in the name of independence, I went into the sex industry because I felt like that's going to give me freedom. That's going to give me hope. The sex industry gave me hope at a, as a 15-year-old. Wow, that's hard to take in. That is 15, you thought that the sex industry was going to be your answer to you being independent, you taking control of your life. What a lie, right? Right, it is a lie. And, you know, we glamorize the sex industry. And that's what it was. I remember my first time that my mom took me into one of the clubs that she was working and I was like nine years old and it looked like a diamond. You know, there was mirrors everywhere and the lighting and the music and all the girls were so pretty. And I thought, oh my gosh, I want to be like them. And Mm -hmm. so this was a dream that was given to me as a very young child. And so when everything was falling apart in my life, I never knew anything of normal, you know, healthy. Like I didn't know what health looked like. I didn't know what healthy relationships looked like. I didn't know how to deal with things emotionally because I started doing drugs at a really young age. At 15 years old, I basically responded to a newspaper ad that said, um, looking for young, energetic, fun women, high paying, you don't need any experience. And it was an escort agency. At that time, I didn't even know what escort meant. I didn't Mm -hmm. know that it was to be a prostitute. 
And so I called the number because I was tired of being moved around. I just wanted to pay for myself and have an apartment and like, you know, all the adults in my life that were just not healthy for me. So within two hours of that phone call, a man picked me up in the corner of my street. In the corner of your street. Yeah. So, and with no ID, with nothing, they knew I was a teenager. From then I ended up being booked in like different cities. And so every week I would travel 10, 12 hours into my province to go work at an underground bar that was doing full service. You've seen things and you know things that children should not know. Correct. Yeah. People should not know, but children, especially because children have no context. And at this point, you've really had no real context or the only context you've had kind of lends itself to that. Was it shocking to see these underground bars? When you say full service, I'm assuming sexual service. Correct. It wasn't shocking because what happened is I had been desensitized. That makes sense. So what would be shocking to one person to me was my normal. And in the name of independence, you know, my body, my choice, right? I was really fed this lie that I am empowered if I can make decisions for my body and I'm being abused and molested and raped all the time. Why not make money doing it at this point? Why not be able to provide for myself? Were you able to provide for yourself at 15? Maybe you're making the money at 15, but can you get an apartment? Can you get a car? If you're really determined, you know, you can, I actually found an apartment in my province, it's 18 to be fully legal. And so at 16, you can sign a lease. A few months before my 16th birthday, I found an apartment where somebody that I knew was living in that apartment building. I talked to the person who was renting out the apartments and, you know, I, I agreed on the price. And I mean, this was like 20 years ago. I gave him my deposit and I took the key and I moved in right away, like the same day before I actually showed him my ID. So the next couple days when he saw my ID, he's like, hey, you're not 16. I said, well, my stuff is here and I paid you for the month. So, you know, I mean, I'm not moving. I'm not. (laughs) So that's how I got my first apartment. You are referencing province and I already know what you mean, but I forgot my listeners might not understand what you mean by province. You are from Canada. Yes, I'm from Quebec City, Canada. Yeah. So you get the apartment and you're providing for yourself. How does that feel? It felt really good to be able to live on my own and make my own decisions. But I I definitely, looking back, you know, I was in very dangerous situations and I, I mean, it was a very dark time. I didn't feel the pain at the time. When you're in that, you can't allow yourself to feel it because if you do, you can't do the work anymore. If it's called work, you can't do it anymore. And so you kind of turn off that part of yourself, you know? And so I had my work name and that was that persona when I was working in the clubs and and agencies and stuff. When I wasn't, then I was May Lisa. And so you really have like a split kind of personality to be able to do all of that. I think it's sad when I think about myself as a young adult, because I was never given the tools to develop my emotional self or my, who I was, you know, there just wasn't anything that I I didn't know. I had no coping mechanisms and no hobbies, like nothing. I didn't know who I was. Survival skills over relationship skills or even life skills, basic life skills, because you're busy surviving from one event to the next. Did God ever show himself at any time during this very dark period when you're in an environment that is not light as in God? In that time, I wouldn't identify it as God because I didn't know God at all. But now looking back, yes, there were moments where I I know that God was with me in that time and especially the way that I got out of the industry. My mom was already living in the United States and remarried and had two kids and I had stayed behind because that relationship was so rocky and 
there wasn't a lot of love because she didn't love herself. And so it's hard to love someone when you don't love yourself, you know, it just comes from a lot of pain and, and we had so much history together. And I just reminded her of so many past mistakes and things she wanted to do and didn't get to do and, you know, whatever the reasons, all that stuff. So it was hard. It was a difficult relationship, but nevertheless, my mom called me before my 18th birthday, just a couple months. And she said, May, if you don't come to America before your 18th birthday, I will never sign the papers for you to immigrate to the United States because you're going to be an adult and it's a whole different process and you're just going to miss out and you're not going to get to come here. And I remember the first thing that popped in my head was the American dream. And I thought, like, I don't want to miss that opportunity. I'm not doing anything here. I know that going in to live with my mom is like not going to be a good relationship and it's going to be hard, but I'm not doing anything with my life worth, you know, doing. And that was really the first time that I had that, that, that time where it was like, okay, like there's, there's nothing here for me. I'm, I'm not heading anywhere good. And so I sold everything and I took a flight and I went to go live with my mom at just a couple of weeks before my 18th birthday. And so I know that was God because to be able to leave the sex industry, you have to really change your whole, your whole friendships and your relationships. It's hard to leave an industry when everything revolved around that industry, your nightlife, like where you, everywhere you've stepped, like it's a hard thing. It's like an alcoholic. If you're going to stop drinking, you can't be around people that are drinking. You can't go to the bars and do this. But when your whole life is around the sex industry, all your friends are in it. You know, your connections are part of that. If you're, if you need rent money, it's easy to just call up and book and go, you know, go make that money to make ends meet. And so it's something, it's an imprint that is always, it's a very strong and it's just becomes this possibility, you know, in your mind. And so um, when you're leaving that world, it's really good to move out and find new friends. And, and so I had that opportunity to be able to really totally extract myself from that environment. And I can tell you, it's so strong that even at times it's popped into my head and I'm like, what the heck? Like, no, I would never, ever do that. I can captivate those thoughts, right. And put them into God's obedience. I'm not going to act out in that, but nevertheless, it's a thought that has come into my mind, even 20 years later. And I'm like, this is, I would never do that. But just to give people an idea of how much the enemy can use that for women to fall back into that industry. When I think about you leaving that environment and coming to America, how did you leave all the emotional baggage behind all of the survival skills? You don't really leave behind the emotional baggage. You bring it with you. And so you have to work through it. And that's where God really helped me unravel the trauma and reprogram my brain because your brain is so programmed to go to constant survival mode, constant abandonment, and, you know, feeling like you're not worth anything or feeling dirty. Like I would take two showers a day for years and years of my skin felt dirty. Mm-hmm. And that's just that leftover of like the trauma where it still affects you. You can't just move and believe that everything's going to be okay. You have to work through that emotional pain. And it can take a long time, you know, but it's worth it. It's worth it to find who you are and to live that healthy life. When did God become a glimpse to you? When were you introduced to him and how how did you see him as the solution or at least a lifeline to grab a hold of? When I had my first daughter, when I was pregnant with her, my husband and I went to a church. And for the first time when I gave my life to Jesus, I felt like, you know, maybe this is an answer. My life, I'm hurting, but this is giving me hope that I can change and things can change. Because I had a husband, I had a, a child and everything that the world would say, you have no reason to be unhappy. And so I didn't understand why. I had some of the some of the things that people really searched for in their lives, but I still 
wasn't happy. So I didn't understand why. And so it hurt, you know, I was still depressed and I would easily emotionally check out. I could be like in a room, but not there. It was just like a defense mechanism. I just had this glimpse of like, if God is real, then my life can change. And, you know, I'm willing to say yes to Jesus. So for you, you meet Christ and you're feeling what? I'm feeling hopeful for the first time. I'm feeling like maybe there's something that I'm missing. And I knew there was something missing and maybe this is the answer. Like if I give my life to Jesus, then he's going to love me. I understood the relational part of it. I started really seeking him and I was 20. So, you know, it was, it was just hope. I don't know. I mean, it, it was just from like the life that we had to seeing families together and loving Jesus together. It was something that we didn't have that imprint. So you can want things, but if you don't have that imprint of family and what that means and how do you establish that and how do you maintain a family? How do you grow in health and love and kindness and all the fruit of the spirit of God? If you're building a house and you don't have the blueprint, it's going to be wacky. You know, (laughs) the space isn't going to be well laid out and maybe the plumbing's not going to work. You know, you can still live in it, but it's just not going to be stable. And so Jesus gave me the blueprints of what that looked like. For the purpose of trying to show people the process of all these things that you're trying in order to get your life together. So you think you're getting everything left behind you and you're doing it right. I was in survival mode for, you know, probably a good decade, even in my marriage. I mean, it doesn't just go away, you know, and I had God and I went to a church and it's a journey, you know, it's a journey with God. It's a journey to heal. And I don't think we'll ever be fully, fully healed until we meet Jesus on the other side. Like the world is fallen, right? We're, we're in a fallen world. And so trauma happens and pain happens. But what I did well was how do I cope with the trauma when things happen, you know, like in now I need to develop myself. I need to develop coping mechanisms and develop hobbies and take the time for myself. And, you know, I need to be able to balance life, balance motherhood and being a wife and being Melissa and, you know, so it, that took years and years and years, even in the marriage. I mean, my husband came from a chaotic background. I came from a chaotic background and then you come together and it's chaos for many, 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 many years. Even if we had Jesus, it was still chaotic, but we always put him in the middle of it. He taught us through the years, different ways that we can love each other better and how we can honor our family and honor each other. That's a working, that's something you work really hard at. And I guess one of the things that happens when you have so much trauma is that your pain level is at such a higher place than most people. And so you're not going to feel it until you hit that threshold. But once you hit it, it's awful. There's so much to deal with. My husband and I came to that point where I had endured so much and lost myself. I became a shell in a relationship and it wasn't intentional for on his part, but I didn't have the communication skills and all these things to advocate for myself or say, no, I really don't want to do that. You know, I just kind of like went with it and was very quiet and submissive and all these things, but it just came to this threshold where the pain became so much higher in the marriage with the kids, you know, all that stuff that I, I mean, I had to do the emotional work to be able to understand why am I in so much pain, even after 10 years of walking with Jesus, loving Jesus, going to church every Sunday, going to women's group, prayer, like all of that. I did all of that, but yet I'm still in so much pain. Like what is going on? That's why I really say it's a healing journey. It's not a destination. And as you're maturing with God, God gives you more healing and more insight and more wisdom. Sometimes even if you're unhealthy, you're 
God knows when it's time to reveal these things in your life. That's why sometimes you'll hear where people don't remember it. Their brains kind of shut off this emotional place, right? And it just gets tucked in somewhere. But then 10 years later, it comes back out because now your brain's ready. Now you're ready. You're in a place where you're ready to deal with this. But your brain knows you. I don't know how to explain that. It's like, it's like your body and your brain knows when it's time and God knows. And so he'll reveal things to you in its time. If he were to reveal everything at once, I think we'd lose our minds. Like I wouldn't make it. I mean, it's too much. It's too heavy. I agree. Do you find that God is very kind and gentle when he does those things? He reveals things? Yes, absolutely. I remember looking for God's voice and then hearing my mother's voice, but not necessarily her voice, but the condemnation of it. And then overlaying that on God. But God's like, no, that's not me. I'm gentle. I'm kind. I bring you into correction. I bring you into revelation gently. Can you think of a time that God gently revealed something to you or gently corrected you? God has done that for me in layers. Even sometimes he brings me back to the place where I thought we'd already left, but he brings me back always to heal me, not to hurt me. Can you think of anything, a time when he revealed something to you that was very significant or even life-changing, but he did it gently? Yeah, absolutely. So, and I'm just going to be very honest here with you with okay. on this podcast. Yeah. When I was young, I was abused in a very soft and gentle way as a little, you know, before kindergarten. And so my brain had associated that with disgust as an adult. And so you can imagine the struggle in my sexual life with my husband, someone who is caring and loving. And I feel disgusted by that because I would pray into my, my sexual healing and, and God, what is going on, you know, and just pray and ask for wisdom and knowledge and unlock this part in my, in my soul and my spirit. And so the Lord gave me like a vision and I saw that. And I remember like, wow, the enemy is like using this against me and he's whispering lies. And so I needed to be able to communicate that while it was happening and just say, okay, we need to just take a a minute reframe this moment together. And so those are some of the ways that um, that's really helped me overcome some of the trauma, you know, and when I was able to put the two together, now I can denounce that lie and change it and rewire the brain into health and wholeness. Taking things captive to Christ and then rewriting that lie with his truth it sounds like it's very important that your husband walk this out with you. Had you told him, and I'm just thinking about this for other women who, uh, had you told him that you had been abused, that you were coming from that background, or is this something that you had to eventually have a conversation about? I was honest with him when we first met and told him some of the stuff that you know had happened, but I didn't go into all the details or the extent of the trauma. Um, that happened about like five, six years ago when I started telling my story and writing my story. And there was a storm even in that to have to navigate through and walk through. I mean, it's a lot, you know, when you've come from a lot of trauma, it's hard. Like, I I don't want to sugarcoat it for anybody, you know, but is it possible? Yes. Nothing's impossible with God. Can he heal you? Yes, he can. And sometimes you got to grab that healing over and over again, because the enemy's working different aspects of the trauma. And that's the thing. Like, I didn't know that was happening. I didn't know where that feeling, why I had that. And so when you don't have the truth and the knowledge of why this is happening to you, you know, the Bible says the truth will set you free. The truth will set you free. Praying into that and asking the Lord to help you to reveal things is really important to have that knowledge and the key to unlock some of the trauma that's been in your life. And it's really important to have good spiritual moms. I've had a couple spiritual moms in my life that's helped me walk through some of the trauma, which is why I started my nonprofit. And I don't say I'm a spiritual mom, you know, because I'm young and that kind of sounds weird, but in a sense, you know, it is something that has really helped me. And I, if I can help somebody else with the knowledge and the experiences that I've had and what I've been able to overcome and bring hope to 
to, to survivors that you can have a normal life and you can find your freedom and you can be happy. Is it going to be difficult? Is there going to be moments where you're whirled back into it? Yes, probably most likely for any, any trauma that people have experienced, like you, you do go back to it. Do you have to stay there? No, like you can walk through it and meet God on the other side of it and ask him to come into that space to walk you out of that. You know, I suffered with depression for over a decade and now I'm free from that. And I'm thankful I won that battle. You know, do I wake up sometimes? I I can have moments where I feel depressed, but I don't stay there. I've developed coping mechanisms to get myself out of that feeling before I could stay there for, for months, years, but now it can be one or two days and then I'm, I'm out of it. And it's okay because it's okay to feel where you're at. And that's one other thing that's so important is you have to feel the feelings and not push them aside anymore. If you're not feeling good, allow yourself to not feel good and try, you know, try to understand why are you here? Why are you not feeling good? What do you need to change and adjust in your life? Because there's a reason you're finding yourself in this place again. You know, and that's kind of where like I can walk through things and understand myself more and more and find, find, you know, May Lisa again. I like that you point out that it could happen over and over again. Like you could get triggers over and over again, but that you have the power to walk out of them. And that's where the, where the real power is, is to choose differently. I think a lot of Christians feel like once saved, shouldn't have any problems in life and it should be fine. But the reality is this life leaves a mark on us and that God, in my opinion, God gives us a different option in the midst of our reality. And that kind of sounds like what you're saying in the sense that you now have scripture to rewrite that. You now have someone to go to and to process them with God. Because for me, a lot of times when I'm struggling, I'll do a piece of paper. My friend taught me this. I'll take a piece of paper and put a line down the middle. And on this side, what I'm thinking. So I just let it all come out and just flow onto a piece of paper, all these things that I'm believing and thinking at the moment. And then I sit down with each one and I say, Lord, what do you have to say about this? This is what I'm believing. This is what I'm feeling. But what do you have to say about that? And sometimes scripture will come to my memory and then I'll go look, I'll write it down, but I'll go look it up later, you know, once I'm done processing with the Lord. But even getting it out of my own head and getting it onto paper is very helpful for me. And then processing it with the Lord. If somebody's being triggered at the moment, what is something they can do? One of the things that you can do is go to Jesus. First of all, even if you don't feel him, just bringing that feeling and that pain to the feet of Jesus. I'm not saying let go of everything right away. You know, like it is something that the Lord wants you to surrender those things, but I understand that it's not always an automatic thing, right? I think maturing in God is the difference of how quickly can you surrender things to God, you know, as you mature, but that can take a very long time. So I just want people to understand the process, you know, also have good people in your life. Do you have a good support system? Are you a part of the body of Christ? We all bring different um, aspects to, to the wholeness of the church, right? within who we are in Christ. And so to have really good people around you, and if you don't start praying for God to bring those people in your life, reading the word, sometimes I I worship until that feeling is gone, just putting worship on and just laying it down at his feet, you know, until I feel like, okay, I did something in the spirit, like something happened, something loosed in my soul. Um, So those are all things that that I've been able to do in my life over and over again to really be able to surrender that. And I think, you know, now I can surrender things a lot quicker because I've put those things in place. One step at a time, right? You conquer right. this area, yeah. build on that, conquer the next area, yeah. build on that. Therapy is important too, to understand some of the process. I know a lot of people avoid it and too, like it's so expensive, which is why I wanted to start my nonprofit was to help women um, through life coaching, through the experience that I've had and, and what I've been able to walk through to help women for free. 
Right now, I'm not in a position where I can help a lot of people, but I do believe that God's going to establish that and to be able to help women walk through some of those things and identify the unhealthy process, how they're coping with things and to help them establish new ways to, to, to cope with trauma. But therapy's helped me understand some of the core um, beginnings of it. Most times you have to go all the way back to where it began and then walk through your life of where the traumas have happened and bring God into those places, which I've been able to do. Now, when I look at myself as a young three-year-old or five-year-old, I'm free and I'm running in a field and I'm playing with bugs and I loved nature and I'm talking to the ducks and, you know, I've been able to reframe and bring out the essence of who I was as a five-year-old and not just the dark abuse. That's precious. I love that. Backing up just a little bit, you were talking about have someone to talk to. You mentioned a spiritual mom. Even in the church, though, there are some people who are not to be trusted because they're gossips or whatever. So what is the basis for someone who is trustworthy? How can someone either earn your trust or be a trustworthy person? Is it that they are serving in a capacity of a spiritual mom or therapy? Who's a trusted person? I think one of the things the Bible tells us to do is to look at the fruit of the life of the person that we're trusting. And there's a really good book um, is Safe People by Henry Cloud. That is a very important book because it helps you identify who are safe people and how to see the red flags. And so when you come from trauma, sometimes you can't recognize what is healthy and what isn't because you haven't been introduced to healthy relationships. And so um, reading that book will help you define that. It's the difference between attaching to someone who's not going to bring you to wholeness and to hold you accountable to Christ, right? Someone who brings you back to Christ and not to themselves too. Someone who points back to Christ and not, not themselves. It's important when you're getting counseling that people are not, you know, giving you a bunch of solutions, but they're actually pointing you back to Jesus because he is the one that will give you the, the knowledge and the love and the wisdom and the insight that you need. That book is really great because it helps you identify not just spiritual moms, but even a boss that's terrible. For whatever reason, when you've come from so much trauma, you tend to attract people that are not good for you. And you've got to change that, start to recognize who is good and who isn't. That would be powerful if you understood that because of your background, you tend to attract more abuse or people who are not good people. And therefore you can start rewriting it just by reading that book you talked about, Safe People by Henry Cloud. I know Cloud and Townsend have done some remarkable work about relationships uh, and boundaries, things like that. Yes. So they are definitely worth looking into Henry Cloud, Safe People. Yes. He also has um, the Boundaries book, which is another one that is so important to live a healthy life is to know your boundaries. And one of the things I experienced um, as a child that came from trauma and then became an adult is I didn't know how to say no, the simple no, you know because I felt guilty and ashamed or unloved, or I felt like if I say no, I'm not, I'm going to be abandoned. And so you just tend to be, for me, was a people pleaser and that wasn't healthy at all. And you end up, you know, running yourself so low, even especially, you know, like through the church too, when you're giving everything to the church, but you're not leaving anything for you, that's unhealthy. So you have to find that balance. And so Henry Cloud is definitely someone that um, if this is speaking to you in this podcast, you know, things are resonating in your soul, get a hold of his work with the boundaries and the safe people. It's going to help you frame and create, you know, give you the knowledge and the insight, how to build a life that, that you find yourself again. What would a woman be experiencing in her personal life, even though she thinks she has it all together, or at least she's working really hard to keep it all together, but really not keeping it all together? What are some of the things that she might need to know that it's not her, it's not that she's a bad person, but it comes from her trauma in the past, and she may need some more healing in that area? If you're feeling like you're not loved in your relationships, you might be feeling like 
you have all these people around you, yet you're still feeling alone or misunderstood, or you can also come to a point where you lose patience or you're feeling like you're offending everybody. I mean, there can be so many different feelings. It's hard to identify for each person, you know, maybe thinking of like how I felt. I, I didn't have confidence and I just kept feeling like I, I didn't love myself and I wasn't confident in myself. And so I started questioning, why is that? You know, I have two kids, I'm married, I go to church, I do all this stuff. Like, where, why am I not confident in who I am? Who am I? Where's Melissa? What, what do I like to do? And then my friendships weren't really deep friendships. Even though I loved my friends, I just didn't feel like it was a, a reciprocated friendship, you know? So I started questioning that, or I felt so guilty. I had a lot of guilt and shame constantly. Guilt and shame. Those are good indicators that even any of us would need some extra healing on that. We may arrive at the guilt and shame mm -hmm. differently. But when guilt and shame shows up, we need to take a look at that and really begin to process those areas, yeah. I think. Also, one of the big indicators is if you feel bad for people all the time. You did mention you couldn't say no. If you're constantly people pleasing, you're basically going to start feeling other people's feelings constantly. And you're not, you don't have the separation of like, you're not responsible for this person and you're, you're putting yourself in other people's feelings all the time. For example, and this is going to be a very general thing. One day I was helping at a festival for kids and I saw that all the kids were waiting in line to do an activity. And I started feeling bad for everybody because it was taking like an hour, right? From the last kid to the, and I felt bad for those people because they had to wait long yet. I'm one of the moms that I'm also having to wait. And so it's almost like you can't have a separation of like what you are responsible for other people's emotions and your own. And I know this is like such a petty kind of example, but you could be at church and your friends sitting in the front by themselves and you're in the back sitting with someone. And yet that person in the front is your friend and she's sitting next to her friend, but you feel bad that you are not next to her because you invited her. And now you're, you can't enjoy yourself because you're sitting in the back worried about her and she's not worried about that, but you're feeling bad because you feel like you have to be there. And then you don't want to leave the spot because you're sitting next to this person. And I know this sounds like a simple thing, but that is a sign of like someone who doesn't have defined boundaries and who is not having their boundaries defined in, in a healthy way when you're feeling for everybody. And that is like a clear sign of being codependent. So subtle and yet so significant. When I think of boundaries, I think of the boundaries you hold in place with people, but it sounds like there's also boundaries within your own emotional well-being. Can you speak to that at all? What your experiences or maybe the book boundaries? One of the things that you want to define is, you know, things you'll say yes to and things you'll say no to. A really good example is if you meant to say no and you say yes, and then your whole week, you have to rearrange your week because you said yes to something that you should have said no to if you would have listened to yourself first, but you said the yes out of guilt because you didn't want to disappoint this person. So now your whole week is out in shambles and you're struggling to get this thing together because you made a commitment that you should have never made a commitment to because you feel like that person's not going to be your friend anymore. That's a powerful motivator to want to change, I would think. Yeah. So how do you establish, I guess it's just educating yourself or maybe getting therapy in order to understand how to set those mental and emotional boundaries. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's when you do that enough, you lose yourself. Your time is spent with everybody else committing to things that you shouldn't be committing to. And now you don't have time for yourself and you're spending a lot of time in guilt and probably mad at your own family and bitter about this person, but yet right. you had more control over that than, than you'll yeah. give yourself. So staying in a victim mentality, that's powerless. I wonder if abuse would cause you, I would think, but you can speak to that, uh, would keep you in a victim mentality unless you do change that mindset. Right. 
And, you know, when you're easily offended, that's another sign because you're just taking in everybody's emotions and you're not defining like that doesn't belong to me. That's not my responsibility. How this person feels about me is not my responsibility. I mean, you want to do it with honor and love and you can't be, you know, mean to everybody. And like, I'm not responsible for my wrong behavior. That's not what I'm talking about. Just being able to define your sense of self without feeling everybody's feelings, without feeling responsible for things you're not responsible for, that will change your life. Because of the trauma, we we want to please and we don't want to feel alone or neglected and abandoned. So it all comes from the sense of, I will do everything that I need to do not to feel rejected and abandoned because then I will be alone. And that goes back to being neglected, abandoned as a child, whether it's emotionally or physically being abused. Was there a Bible verse that you hung on to once you came to the knowledge of Christ or has there been a series of, how do you encourage yourself? What scripture speaks to you? I'm not someone who can like quote scriptures very well. I kind of paraphrase or I look them up, but one of them is renew your mind into God's obedience. I think that's like Romans 12. That was a really, really good one. You know, renewing my mind constantly. Um, Also Ephesians. I love that whole chapter. It's just beautiful. It's how God's given us the mind of Christ and how we're seated with him in the heavenly places. And then the classic for, I know the plans for you, plans to give you hope in a future, really hung on to that one. Yeah. And Jeremiah. So those were some big ones for me. The renewing. It's interesting that the Lord tells us to renew daily, constantly. Not only does he know that we need to renew the mind every day because we are attacked by natural thoughts, earthly thoughts. But he wants us to stay connected with him on a daily basis throughout the day, receiving from him all that that he has for us, because he has the plans of our life. He knows the blueprint that you referred to Mm -hmm. of our life. And so if we partner with him in order to find what that find out what that is, how beautiful is that? There's a science part to that, too, because every day your brain grows baby neurons. Every day your brain actually has neurons that can be brought into the obedience of Christ and build a new pathway in your brain. So not only is it, you know, a spiritual truth, but it's also a physical truth. And your brain is malleable a lifetime, which is amazing. You can change it a whole lifetime. You know, there's physical things that we can never, we can't change once you're an adult. That's it. Unless you get surgery and you know, all that, but your brain will can change and transform a whole lifetime. And so what happens is your childhood pathways, if you're thinking, we've talked about abandonment, you feel alone, you feel alone, and things are happening in your life, and you go back to that, basically, you're growing a whole tree of neuron pathways that are bringing you to that sense of abandonment and loneliness. Well, when you bring the truth into it and renew your mind into God's obedience and meditate on my word, meditate on what I say about you, meditate on what Christ says. And the whole Bible is pointed to Christ, our savior, our Messiah who died on the cross to give us hope and freedom and his resurrection power lives in us, right? So when we take that word and we apply it to our renewing our thoughts and captivating those thoughts, basically we're using those baby neurons to grow new pathways in Christ. And every morning that's new, we have new ones. So once you stop meditating on the unhealthy things, they actually shrivel up and they like, they die because they're not being used. So as you're growing your spiritual muscle, you're actually also defining new pathways in your brain to grow the thoughts of Christ and his likeliness, his likeness were to grow in his likeness. And so those baby neurons are being used to be more like Christ. That's so like God, though, to tell us to do, to renew, renew, meditate, and then also provide the physical, scientific yes. science behind that. Yes. Uh, Caroline, Caroline Leaf, Dr. Caroline yes. Leaf, when you're talking about the trees, I've listened to her a lot of times and it's incredible. She's a Christian. Was she a brain neurologist? She's, She's definitely- a brain neurologist. 
and she has the book called Switch on Your Brain. Okay, Switch on Your Brain. She also has a really great podcast, and I do direct my clients to that podcast at times, depending, coaching is depending what the person needs. But yeah, she's definitely an amazing resource. What are some of the things that you offer a young woman who needs to be mentored? Yes, it's life coaching. You know, I'm a Christian life coach, but it's also mentoring. So I do a lot of goal settings. And one of the ways that I frame the coaching is through um, solution-oriented therapy, which is what I was trained in when I was working in Canada as an intervention crisis counselor. Um, helping women get out of the sex industry. And so it's a very brief therapy and it's, it's proven to be the best therapy for women who have gone through a lot of trauma. Some of the ways that I help is through the resources that I've applied in my own life, things that I learned helping women that had come from a lot of trauma and also the Bible. And so I layer all those three in my coaching. My desire is for women to find freedom and for me to be part in some way of their healing, I don't take responsibility for everything, right? When they're coming to me, it's like, okay, I can help them in this area of their lives. When you can overcome one area, then you can work on other areas, you know? And so I'm just kind of accompany women in their journey. And I offer a three-month coaching, one-month coaching, and then individual sessions And you can find me on my website, just email me, or I can do an initial call and see if you would be interested in working with me. The great thing about the coaching, I also offer free coaching to women who wouldn't have the finances to be able to do that, who who have gone through extreme trauma. I offer that part for free. And so when you hire me as Mace Hart, as your life coach, you're helping someone else heal along the way. And so that's really my model as you're coming in and whether you do an inner healing paint night or you book me for a session, I want you to know that I give those for free to women who, who need it. Because what I've realized is that the, a lot of the women don't have the finances to get to freedom. And that's really sad to me. It's sad that you can go through so much trauma and you're just left and you don't have the money to get out of it. And so I wanted to be a resource for women who can't afford it and also a resource to women who can, but I, I wanted to give back. And that's why I started the nonprofit. That's beautiful. Called Mace Heart. Mace Heart. And I'll put all the links in the uh, okay. show notes to Maylissa, M-A-Y-L-I-S-S-A, Luby, L-U-B-Y.com. Yes. And then Maysheart.com. So that's all good. What is something that the Lord said to you, maybe in your darkest moment, and the Lord spoke into that darkness? What is something beautiful that the Lord said in your darkness? I never left you. I was always with you. That may be hard for a woman to believe who's being abused at the moment. Is there anything you can speak to that? God speaks to each of us as we need it. Just keep seeking him keep trusting him. One of the things is when you have a difficult relationship with your dad, you know, your, your earthly dad, or you don't have never had one, like I didn't have one. It's hard to see God as your father because you don't have that imprint. Again, it goes back to like the blueprints that you were given, you know, and you might have to work harder at understanding that and And that's okay. You know, we each have our journey, but God is absolutely good and he loves you. And he never intended for all of this to happen to you. And whatever the enemy stole, he promises to redeem it and to walk you through it. And so keep knocking on his door, keep trusting him, keep surrendering this. One of the beautiful things is that even in the midst of things that we go through, we can impart in other people's lives. And God uses our path and our journey to help other people journey along. So wherever you are on this journey to healing or grieving or mourning or the pain, know that your story matters and that you can help somebody else. And as you're surrendering 
those things to God, he'll show you. And, and it's all going to be for his glory to be able to help somebody else. I think that is one of the beautiful things about God. So many beautiful things, but he allows us to take part in our redemption. Yeah. And it's never too late and it's never too bad. Melissa, thank you for encouraging the hearts of women today who find themselves either living after abuse in the midst of abuse, living in the sex trafficking industry, prostitution, those things. You're showing them that this is not the end, that there is more. There's a renewing, there's a process to healing and, but it is possible. Yeah. Healing is possible. Melissa, before we part, we have not touched on your podcast. May you break the silence podcast. Can you tell us a little bit about that? The purpose behind it? Who are you looking for to share their stories? The Lord really pressed on my heart to tell the healing stories and the journey of how you can overcome sexual abuse. And may you break the silence is about breaking the silence of trauma and specifically sexual abuse because it affects 25% of the U.S. population. That is a big number, one out of four. So it's one out of three for girls and one out of five for boys. So, you know, the average is one out of four, which is really sad. And so the Lord's called me to break the silence. If you're listening and you've been a victim of sexual abuse and God's healed you from that or part of it, it's okay not to feel like you have it all together. You can tell your story and encourage other people to healing other survivors. I'd love for you to contact me. I'm going to be launching May You Break the Silence next year, season two. And so I'm just waiting on enough stories to be able to launch. The essence of it is to empower and bring hope to survivors. Shared story is very powerful. And again, it seems like it's that's when we get to take part in our redemption, where we tell our story and we tell what God has done and we tell of our healing. And so we, we talk from a healing or a healed place. You get to hear all about abuse and the sex industry and human trafficking, but you don't necessarily get connected up with the people who've been there and they are healing or they are healed. So there's hope in finding these uh, other people um, who are ahead of you, showing hearts, other women that it can be done. It is possible. It's not the end, putting those conversations out there for people to, to also be encouraged to say, Hey, that was me too. I'm not alone. We've been talking about abandonment several times and you saying that, you know, you want to please people to the point where you don't want to lose their friendship. So abandonment is a big fear of ours. And so if we know we're not alone, that is healing in itself brings peace. Yeah. I think you're not alone. So many of us have gone through trauma and God knows he knows every detail of our lives and our story. And I would encourage you to walk in faith. And if you're walking in fear, that's not from God. I just want to encourage you to, to be able to just start identifying those areas in your life, you know, if some of the things that resonated with you throughout this podcast, like fear, shame, anxiety, people pleasing, you know, all these things are not serving you in your life. And for a time, maybe it did serve you, but now that you're maturing in God and wanting to come to wholeness, I want you to know that God is with you and that you can begin that journey to really find that freedom to break through this trauma and be able to have a a whole and joyful you again. When environments change, our survival skills don't necessarily serve us well, especially if we're in an environment where we're safe and we're loved. We are well cared for. Yeah. So one thing that I'd like to encourage our listeners with today is keep the eyes of your heart, the eyes of your mind on Christ, because he's writing a much bigger love story with you, a true love story with you as the unique person that he created you to be. So no matter what this life, this world, these people try to put on you, label you with uh, abuse, God's writing a much bigger love story. And it, it is so much more important and so much more meaningful and individual, and it will literally save your life. So. Thank you, Melissa, for being such a beautiful inspiration to women. I know I have truly been encouraged today. Thank you. Thank you for having me. It was an honor. 
Thank you for your time and for sharing this experience with my guest. I hope you have found encouragement for today and a deeper revelation of God's heart in the midst of pain and suffering. We'd love to have you as a subscriber to Finding God in Our Pain so that you can be connected with all my guests as they share their personal experiences and professional knowledge about pain and suffering. And because this podcast is a division of the website, A Life of Thrive, for more information and the various ways you can connect with us, please visit the website, alifeofthrive.com. I look forward to sharing more transparent stories from the hearts of women who intimately know what it means to have their world flipped upside down, their authentic struggle to make sense of it, and what recovery and healing looks like. Till then, sweet woman, remember you are not alone and that God speaks the most beautiful things in the dark.